I got my very first pair of progressive lenses this week, which I am currently sporting for your admiration. <laughs> we used to call them bifocals 25 years ago and considered it a sign of old age to have to get them. But now I feel terribly distinguished, sophisticated. The first time I tried them on at Kaiser this week, my vision wasn't nearly as dizzied as I had anticipated. In fact, the world suddenly looked super crisp and clear. And only then did I realize what a blurry life I had been leading up until now. Still, the optometrist advised caution. Especially when you're stepping off a curb or going downstairs, she said. Make sure you act like a duck. <laughs> How's that? I quacked. <laughs> well, have you ever seen ducks when they're waddling along? If they get to a spot where they need to step up or step down, they bend their heads down and sideways to look where they're going because their eyes are on the sides of their head and they can't see past their bill. So be like a duck and look down when you're nearing a curb or a set of stairs. Okay, I said. Her analogy seemed odd to me, yet it did the trick. I thought of ducks throughout that first day. <laughs> Whenever I came to a curb or stairs, I bent my beak accordingly. I also started feeling sorry for ducks, how they have a funny waddle walk and need to tilt their heads to see what's in front of them. Similarly, and here is a bit of a leap, <laughs> We are sometimes moved to pity when we see elderly men and women walking along hunched over who have to move their head or body to see what is above or before them. Osteoporosis, or years of trying to offset back pain by assuming a bent-over gait. Whatever the reason, these folks become trapped in a posture that keeps them from fully participating in the world around them. When we pass them on the sidewalk, we involuntarily straighten up in an attempt to compensate for whatever future postural fate awaits us. The bent-over woman Jesus heals in today's gospel has been afflicted for 18 years. 18 years of staring down at dirt, swallowing dust, and getting grains of it in her eyes. Having her face that much closer to all the stinking feet passing her on every side, their pungent sweat oppressing her, especially on hot desert days. Eighteen years of physical suffering, but even worse, eighteen years of being closed off from the world she once knew. I imagine she was married, raised kids, and strode confidently about on her errands, stopping to chat with neighbors and grocers and feeling a part of her community. But then this ailment came out of nowhere and laid her low. A demonic spirit entered her body, God knows why, and this is how such conditions were diagnosed back then. Was it for some sin of hers or of her ancestors? And the world was suddenly shut out from her sight. No longer could she see her husband's kind face, a mercy as his visage turned to despair until one day he didn't wake up and she was alone, her children far away, embarrassed by her and too afraid to bring their own kids around to visit. Depressed and forgotten, she nevertheless makes her way to the synagogue on the Sabbath. 
Already bent over in a posture of humility, she comes to pray. Resigned, silent, but consistent in her attendance. It's one of the few things she looks forward to each week. I am making up this backstory, but it's extrapolated from her quiet passivity, her absent presence, how she's internalized the careful avoidance of everyone around her until she's become self-avoiding, not really there if no one ever acknowledges her existence. And so, unlike almost every other person healed in the Gospels, she doesn't ask to be made well. She does not shout Jesus' name incessantly like Bartimaeus the blind beggar, nor does she grasp the hem of his garment like the hemorrhaging woman or present herself to Jesus in any way like the lepers or men lowered on mats from rooftops who came before her. Stoically resigned to her fate, she hobbles quietly into the synagogue once more. In fact, she doesn't even get a speaking part in the scene. But Jesus singles her out for his attention. Woman, you are set free from your ailment, he proclaims, and immediately she straightens up and starts praising God. And not only her posture, Jesus straightens her soul that she might live again and participate once more in the world around her. I'm guessing the analogy I'm about to make is an obvious one, but here goes anyway. Many of us carry something bent over inside us that is in need of healing. It may not manifest outwardly. We might even thrive and enjoy life. But unless you're someone with little to no self-awareness, each one of us carries a pain or a regret or an unfulfilled longing. Something that prevents us from participating fully in the world around us keeps us inwardly bent over, making it hard to see the stars or feel the sun fully on our face, to delight in God's creation and in fellowship with others. It's the sorrow to which we've resigned ourselves, the posture we've ossified into so tightly that we can't see our way straight. Whatever is doubling you over inside, bring it to God. Bring it to church and pray. Ask for healing. Don't wait to be seen and called over. Ask to be healed from where you stand. Let the burden that folds you in two be lifted by God's grace. In the Lessons of History, published in 1968, historians Will and Ariel Durant speak of the value of religion. To the unhappy, the suffering, the bereaved, the old, it has brought supernatural comforts valued by millions of souls as more precious than any natural aid. It has helped parents and teachers to discipline the young. It has conferred meaning and dignity upon the lowliest of existence, and through its sacraments has made for stability by transforming human covenants into solemn relationships with God. The leader of the synagogue in our gospel passage knows this. He loves his faith and sees the value of religion. Time and again, it has saved him. When his parents died in a fire, the local synagogue community took him in and raised him. In times of loneliness, he found comfort in regular prayer. 
When his wife left him after years spent in a rigid, loveless marriage, the rituals of the church welcomed him into their familiar embrace. The only thing that kept him from despair was to follow the commandments of his faith to the letter. And he knows the importance of Sabbath, how it rejuvenates the soul and strengthens one's relationship with God. But after years of finding comfort in the rhythms and rules of religion, the leader of the synagogue has shifted salvation to the ritual instead of to the grace of God. Fossilized in his faith, he attends worship with one eye on any missteps others may make in his presence. I am making up this backstory, but it's extrapolated from his rigidity, his fear of allowing for something new and transformative to disrupt what he sees as the necessary formula for salvation. Anyone who can see past the miraculous healing before his very eyes to focus only on what religious laws it breaks is truly blind to God's grace. I like to think that this man also experienced healing on that Sabbath day. Perhaps the admonishment of Jesus shamed him into a new realization, that it was not the practices and rituals that saved him time and again in his life. Rather, it was God's compassion and love flowing through those things that cradled him through his despair. Whatever has hardened within you, blinding you to the miracles all around you, bring it to God, bring it to church, and pray. Ask for healing. Don't lie and wait to judge others, but learn to see clearly what compassion you may lack in your life for others and for yourself. Ask to be healed from where you stand. Let the burden that stiffens you be softened by God's grace. I wish you all came to church more often. It can bring healing you never knew you needed. I wish you could bring a friend with you. I long to, pray, I long to break the carapace of self-satisfaction encrusting the lives of so many in this town. Religion is dying out in our culture of individualism, of instant gratification, when what we truly offer is a Sabbath from all that, a straightening up into new life, a softening into love. We are all, to some extent, leading blurry lives. We all need the clarifying vision of God's compassionate grace, felt in community, in worship, and in love. Amen.